He smashed pretty much every billboard and streaming record that matters. It has already been streamed more than a billion times. Billion. People still to this day point to, this is the moment everything changed. But whether you agree with those claims or not, this podcast isn't really about him. Either you're not an astute businessman or you're inherently racist when it comes to black music in this country. This is not a Drake podcast. Available now on CBC Listen or wherever you get your podcasts. This is a CBC podcast. People are curious, and that's great. But there are some questions you just shouldn't ask, or at least not like that. I'm Harvinder Vadva. I'm Elena Hudgens Lyle. And this is Inappropriate Questions. Let's get inappropriate. This episode, we're talking about the question, how did you get pregnant, which lots of pregnant LGBTQ people get asked. <laughs> Often it's because, you know, queer and trans people having kids, mm. there's a lot of planning and thought that goes into it, especially when you can't have kids the, uh, how shall we say, Harv, uh, the traditional way? The birds and the bee way. Yes, exactly. That's <laughs> what I'm getting at. The bees way. Yes. Multiple bees. Lots yes. of bees. Yes. Harv. As a parent, did you think a lot about having kids? Uh, did you plan a lot for your first no, kid? No, not really. <laughs> uh, but that time I was in India, and in India, it was expected after you get married, you have kids. Right. Otherwise, your family, your neighbors, and even people who you don't even know yeah. start pestering you about uh, having children. Really? So it's kind of, it was kind of expected. You have kids. Right, yeah, yeah. Now, let me ask you a question. Yeah, yeah, yeah. As a queer person, yes, have you thought about having kids? Uh, I have. I've wanted to have kids since I was little, but currently the how is up in the air because, you know, I'm single. I'm pretty young. There's no imminent. It's not happening tomorrow. But yeah. The biological I, clock is not ticking. Oh, my God. <laughs> I, I'm sure it is. <laughs> Thanks for reminding me, Harv. Got to go out there and meet someone tomorrow. Um <laughs> But yeah, I it's not an imminent thing for me, but I guess depending on who I end up with, I will have to think about how to have a kid, maybe in a different way than some straight people would. Fair enough. Sometimes it's not a question, it's more a statement. Like, how did you do it? As in going against all the things that people believe how babies are made. Even my lesbian friends were like, wait, so how was the process? The experience of growing this baby was probably the most taboo thing I could ever do. To hear about this question from a queer mom, we're speaking to Farah Khan. She's an anti-sexual violence worker and a gender justice advocate here in Toronto. She and her wife welcomed their first child last year, who they call Bobo. Hi, Farah. Hi. So wonderful to have you here, Farah. Could you tell us about a time someone asked you, how did you get pregnant? Oh, there's so many times. So... Last December 24th, my wife and I decided to be public about our pregnancy. And so we put it online. And then right away, there were tweets back to us saying things like, how'd you do it? Who's the father? Where'd you get that sperm? Like literally right away. Wow. Um, but I think that evening was was one of the most uncomfortable ones. So we went to church uh, in midnight mass and the preacher's wife came up to us afterwards and just in front of a group of people turned to me and said, how'd you get pregnant? 
And I think it was about the 15th person who had said something to me, not just online. And I turned to her and I said, I don't really feel comfortable answering that. Just probably like you probably wouldn't be that comfortable if I asked you what sexual position you were in when you got pregnant with your child. Mm. And luckily enough, she just started laughing, which was a good moment because I didn't know that she was the wife of the preacher, um, the minister. <laughs> um, so I was like, oh, no. Uh, but it was definitely was a moment where I just felt like I had to explain why it felt so intrusive, you know, and this idea that my pregnant body was up for public discussion about how we got a baby. Right. So in the first month of us announcing this really beautiful, wonderful thing that we were so excited about that usually is a really point of joy for a lot of people, um, we got a lot of, of that kind of constant, like, how could you, or the audaciousness of the boldness. It, it's hard. It's hard when you get also the hate right away. Hmm. And and for, from what I'm kind of getting is that these particular questions were not um, benevolent questions. These were malevolent questions. Sometimes they're malicious. Like, you know, I think there's, it wasn't, a, sometimes it's not a question. It's more a statement, right? Like, how did you do it? As in going against all the things that people believe how babies are made. Hmm. And then also, it's done in this really curious way. And I think in the terms of the minister or his wife, like afterwards, she was like, I'm just really curious. I've never met one. And I was like, one what? And she was like, a queer person who's pregnant, right? And I got that. You know, I got that. And so I understand where she was coming from. She just didn't know my backstory of my history of, of being asked that time and time again. Where are the curious people coming from, do you think? Well, let's be real. Most of us have had really horrible sexual health education. I don't know about you, but there's three things that I learned in sex ed. And I went into a Catholic school. So it was don't have sex because you'll get pregnant, right? And that sex is for marriage. And if you are going to have sex, it is only the penis that goes into the vagina sex. Can I say that on your podcast? Yeah, I think so. Okay. We will find out. <laughs> uh, yeah, no, I, I feel that. I had really bad sex ed, too. It's all these videos from the 90s that yeah. really didn't teach me much and were really scary and yeah. made consent seem scary, too. Like, even well, the most important things. So when we have really bad sexual health, when sexual health is taught that babies are made only this one way, that families only are made this one way, being a queer woman wasn't even on the radar. Like, I never heard the word dyke or lesbian. What's dyke? Oh, dyke? Well, dyke is a term. It's reclaimed, but it was a derogatory term sometimes used to talk about women love, who love women. Hmm. But um, I think, you know, we don't get those examples and we don't see families and we don't know. Then I think that that does create curiosity, right? And when someone's like in the flesh in front of you, you're excited. You want to ask those questions. But, you know, after mass, at 1 a.m. is maybe not the time to be asking me after I've never met you before. There's something really personal and a journey that I went on with my partner that is quite private in some ways because it was a journey that it took a lot of questions and curiosity of her own. Because mm. the thing about making a family when you're queer is sometimes we're told that we'll, we're unlovable, that we may never find somebody, that no one will want to be our partner, that we may not have long-term family. And who's telling you this? The world. From media to our families. You know, my mom's biggest fear when I came out, well, one of the biggest fears that she kept saying to me is, now you won't have a life like mine. Hmm. 
Mm. You won't have a family like mine. You won't have a house like mine. And I'm like, well, maybe I don't want all those things. (laughs) But I think when you're envisioning it for yourself, like sometimes there's no map to follow. Mm -hmm. Maybe sometimes the curiosity too is that we don't talk about fertility enough. We don't, we make this assumption that everybody can just get pregnant easily. Mm. So magically straight people just fall into a bed. And I have this assumption too, because I used to be bitter. I'd be like, why are all the straight people just getting pregnant? It takes me so long, (laughs) you know? I thought only queer people would be at the clinics or at the doctor's offices for fertility. And actually, a lot of straight people. Mm. And I was like, oh, okay. Okay, so it's not just us, (laughs) you know? But the thing is, pregnancy journeys and fertility journeys are hard for so many people. Hmm. When people ask you this question, does it tend to be people you know, strangers online, coworkers, friends, family? Is it everyone? Everyone. Across cultures, across ethnic, (laughs) uh, you know where I'm going, right? Oh, the nosy aunties? Yes. Oh, yeah, nosy aunties (laughs) ask. Yeah, for sure. For sure. Um, But you know who didn't ask and and just knew was my wife's mom. Mm. And she's an immigrant from China. Um, She's someone who people would have assumptions would have bigotry or just not have full faith in us. And it's the complete opposite. The moment we told her we were pregnant, she was so excited. Mm. She was like, amazing, seven grandchildren now, great. (laughs) You know, like she's so happy. And I think also we assume who will ask those questions and who won't, Mm. and who will accept right away and who will wanna know more. Mm. What are some things that queer couples have to think about before starting families that maybe people in different gender relationships don't have to? Well, for the longest time, one parent had to adopt. And I think that's a really hard one. So you actually had to, my partner would have had to adopt our child. In order to be a legal parent? Yeah. Oh my gosh. Um, But things like we have to, if you, if anybody wants to use donor sperm Mm -hmm. or a donor egg, you actually have to go to a counseling session. Yeah. So did you have to go to counseling before you made your baby? No. No, you just made your baby, right? Yeah. Yeah. So you could have met your wife in a bar. And just gone home, made the baby the first night, right? There's things like paying for sperm. So financially, the cost or the legal stuff you have to think about if you are going to have a donor sperm and it's a known donor, are you going to, how are you going to co-parent? If you're not going to co-parent, how are you going to have visitation or what are you going to have there? So it's it's a lot of things you have to think about. Mm. I think also, I think a lot about what people will say to him, my son. Well, they bully him in the schoolyard for having two moms. Right. The homophobia that he may experience by having two parents that are queer. Hmm. It's interesting you say that about queerness in families because I think about even before queer people start families, there's this idea of chosen family mm. that queer people before even starting family families. Is that... No, but that's, that's, a, really, I, that's yeah. a really good point. Yeah, we... We have already a pretty fluid definition of family. Right. And keeping that chosen family when you have a child, it's really interesting because queer family showed up for me Hmm. when my family wasn't there. So when my family disowned me, my queer and chosen family made sure that my child and I had the things I needed to culturally even welcome my child into the world, right? To make sure that the ceremonies or the 
things that I wanted to make sure that was there for him were there for him. So he has aunties. They may not be blood, but they're aunties, right? They still... And less annoying, I'm guessing. <laughs> they're still aunties. They're still like, what are you doing? You know? You have like, to vet them be like, you have to be as annoying as any auntie in order to be. You have to finger wag. You have to do everything. Yeah. But like, I think that's the thing. Like, queer families are possibility models. They're creating ideas and interrupting what we've been told families are supposed to be. So I think we also sometimes have a responsibility to tell people what it's like and to give mm-hmm. examples and to show that you can have family and in different ways. Hmm. For uh, are there any assumptions who would be the mom and uh, who would be the dad? I think sometimes people really want queer couples to kind of be like, who's the man in the family and who's the woman? You know, it's like, who's the top and who's the bottom? They, like, they, they try to make it as close to the heterosexual <laughs> yes. as possible. Yeah, snaps. And, uh, yeah, because again, they, they they don't have a paradigm. So we, they're just trying to, you know, t- trying to make sense of the situation where they have no understanding of. Totally. It's like people say, oh, it's so nice that your wife is babysitting your kid. Because as the femme presenting one, I, of course, am just assume that I will always be around for my child. And my wife, who is more masculine presenting, well, she just babysits a kid. So I think there's things like that. In parenting, how do you challenge that? And I want to challenge that so that he doesn't think, okay, well, mom, you know, my mama Kay is the more masculine one. She wears the suits in the house. So therefore, she does this. And we happen to be that couple. But I've also dated femmes. I could have had a child with a femme woman. And we both would be that. Farah, the more I'm hearing you, uh, both of you talk, and I just wonder, and we are in a pretty good time from that point of view. Mm-hmm. And I'm not going back way back. I'm just going back like 20, 30 years. Yeah. Life would have been miserable. Life would have been hell for people who are not conforming to the, the heterosexual model. I think life... Yeah, it was hard. And I think it still is really hard. You know, suicide rates amongst LGBTQ youth are the highest, especially around trans youth. Hmm. I think, you know, both my wife and I, um, my wife was kicked out when she was 16. Kicked out? Of her house. Oh. When she was 16. And I left home when I was 18. Um, It's hard. It's hard to be a queer person. It's not easy all the time. My daughter is just over 20. You're going to kick her out? No. (laughs) Is she living there forever? Well, I I don't mind. But (laughs) the question is, like, she is a very matured woman, but uh, she's not ready Mm. to be on her own. I think that's the thing. A lot of us are pushed out too early, but also shouldn't be in homes that at that time and Listen, her mom and dad are so supportive and kind. Her mom comes over every day to hang out with me and the baby. My child kicks and jumps in my lap, excited to see his grandmother. So things also can change. Change, yeah. We have to also give people the opportunity for things to change. And it's sad but true in some ways that having a baby sometimes does change those relationships. So all of a sudden, some family members who didn't get my relationship now all of a sudden are like wanting to hang out and like support me and my child and support our family and are trying to understand what's going on. You know, I know in the back of their head, they're like, how do they do it? 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 Um, and that's okay. Um, and I understand that what, I think that's it too about the curiosity thing going back to it, right? Because then it makes it normal. 
What would you say to the curious folks who ask you this question? I always think, you know that thing, think before you talk? Yeah. <laughs> that might be a good time. This might be a good time. <laughs> yeah. And think about why you're asking the question. Mm-hmm. What, what, what do I need to know here? Mm-hmm. And if I'm really like want to know like, hey, was that hard for you? You know, or what was that like? Because I think actually asking anybody about fertility or like asking people a question of like, oh, I thought you wanted to get pregnant. How's that going? Can be really hard. I have friends that have been trying to get pregnant for years and they are a straight heterosexual couple. Mm. You've mentioned that if it's a queer person who's asking this question, that you're okay with that. Why is that? Oh, because it's so hard. I think pregnancy is very lonely. Mm. Um, Fertility is really lonely. We need to talk about it more. So Mm -hmm. that I'm totally cool with. And I don't believe love is love. I don't believe that queer thing that sometimes people say, you know, love it. I don't think because queer love and queer families are different because we've had to fight to be in a family. I've had to fight to love myself, to love myself whole, to love my partner whole, to love my child whole. I never thought I could have all of this. Mm because I was told that I couldn't. And so like having my kid, like having my partner, like the love of my life in my life every day, waking up and seeing both of them, it's just joy. I am Bianca Lopez and I'm seven months pregnant. Yes. I don't really get asked, how did you get pregnant that much? Because people assume I'm straight. So it's like coming out and also telling them how I got pregnant, you know, explaining that to people is kind of, it's like a double. Um, I think I just get more like annoyed by people's lack of knowledge, but I also don't expect people to be super knowledgeable because even my lesbian friends were like, wait, so how was the process? You know, they were like, because unless you're like in it, like, why would you know? Like, why would you know that you can go online and you can buy a profile, but you can't get a pic of him as an adult and all these things? So I, I am, I'm open to the curiosity because if they can't ask, then how do I further the conversation and educate and make it not such like a, I don't want it to be a taboo thing or something weird or it's like, yeah, this is this is just another way that people have a family. In 2007, TV network CBS dropped 40 kids in the middle of the New Mexico desert as part of a brand new reality show. These kids would have to build their own society from scratch. And if this sounds like Lord of the Flies to you, well, it was meant to. We were on this mission together. We were going to prove to the world that we could make a better society than adults could. I'm Josh Gwynn, and I want to know what this wild TV experiment was really about. Split Screen, Kid Nation, a six-part podcast from CBC. Available now. For a different perspective on LGBTQ pregnancy, I wanted to talk to our fellow podcaster, Freddie McConnell. Freddie is a transgender man, and he gave birth to his son. His process of becoming a dad, from finding a sperm donor to pregnancy to giving birth, is documented in a movie called Seahorse, The Dad Who Gave Birth. I spoke to him about what pregnancy was like as a gay and trans single dad. When was the first time you actually started to consider pregnancy? 
for as long as I can remember, I knew I, was, I wanted children. That for me has always been quite a separate thing to like how I would have those children. Mm -hmm. Then um, came out as trans in my early 20s and um, somewhere along the line of attending a gender clinic uh, was told that if I did start testosterone, I would it would make me infertile. Mm. Um, so my mum was always much more emotionally attached to the idea of me um, giving birth and uh, she had a very positive experience of pregnancy. And so she didn't want me to kind of let go of that. Um, and actually we talked about possibly should I have a baby before starting testosterone? Mm. But then very quickly, I realized that actually transition was the most important thing for me at that time. I couldn't look after another human being if before I looked after myself in this way that was like so fundamentally necessary for me. Mm. Then I guess I'd probably, I think I'd been on testosterone for about two years when I was just browsing YouTube. And I, so I came across this video completely out of nowhere, which was a trans man vlogging. And he was like eight months pregnant. And like, it was like my brain exploded and it felt like I'd been shown something that was an option that I needed to consider. Um, but it took me another at least year after that to really like reconcile myself with it. Uh, like, could I, I could maybe do that and it wouldn't mean, I don't know, <laughs> total social ostracization and rejection and... It's a very scary thought, mm. not so much because of my physical experience. Like I thought that might be okay. That, that might be something I could handle, but more just this is like probably the most taboo thing I could ever do. Mm. Um, am I allowed to? Uh, that kind of thing. And how was your experience of pregnancy? You know, did it live up to all of these ideas you had in your head and maybe your, your worst fears about it? Yeah, I thought it would be scary from a social perspective. Mm -hmm. Um but like maybe I would kind of boss it from a physical perspective. Pregnancy <laughs> 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 boss. Yeah, like, like actually the reality was externally and socially, I did pretty much fly under the radar. Um, but internally and privately, I found it extremely difficult. And what was hard was the dysphoria and um, the not being on testosterone. Right. Which for me had been like a totally life-changing, life-saving, life-saving um, hormonal treatment. Right. Did pregnancy itself feel like a gendered experience? Were you were you conscious of that as a pregnant man? Like the, the experience of growing this baby was and feeling it kick and move. Like, you know, I think we think about it as this, well, a lot of people would describe it as like an essentially female experience. Um, and women talk about feeling very empowered by it, but... I think any human that goes through that and that sees it in that positive light would feel that same sense of empowerment and strength and like you're nurturing and growing this thing. The extraordinariness of it and the amazingness of it doesn't need to be gendered, I would say. <laughs> Just, you know, yeah, it can be positive uh, no matter who is experiencing it. Uh, so because we're talking about the question, how did you get pregnant? Theoretically, if someone wanted to ask that to a pregnant trans person, do you think... That's a conversation that shouldn't be had. Is that an inappropriate question? I mean, just even separate from trans people, that's an inappropriate question, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I can see how you might be more likely to ask if you know the person is trans because because yeah. your curiosity is going to just be um, is going to be triggered. But especially in the in an age of where a lot of people are using assistive reproduction technologies and. Right creating families in all sorts of ways uh queer or not like mm -hmm. hopefully you'd realize how inappropriate the question was in general and then sort of apply that to the situation 
regardless of who the person is. Yeah. And the flip side of that is my experience is um, I have probably experienced more trans men who've had babies who haven't needed like any kind of um, fertility interventions because mm. they are either married or partnered with cis men. Right. Um, so, yeah, I mean, and I know people uh, who take a lot of pride in the fact that or, or love to kind of blow <laughs> cis people's minds by you know, <laughs> uh, clarifying that they conceived quote-unquote the old-fashioned way right you can't apply any kind of generalizations right asking this question is basically asking someone to to share their personal story about being pregnant often with you know the asker being a stranger i was interested in your take on that because in a way you did share your story with strangers uh by putting it in this film seahorse Mm. why did you want to share your story in such an intimate way um, I always talk about like empathy. That's what's missing in that gap between people who fear and hate us um, and those that love and are allied with us. Right. Like on one level, there's just not enough trans people to go around for everyone to like know and love us. Right. <laughs> um, so if you could spend an hour and a half in a in a dark cinema, like it might it might come a little bit some way close. So empathy was the was one aim, but then the other was just much more pragmatic, which was that the majority of um, trans men, trans masculine people, non-binary people who could uh, start their families in the way I did, still don't know that that's an option for them. Either they are actively told that it isn't, like like I was, like they are told that they're going to be infertile if they go on testosterone, um, or that just like socially it's so unacceptable that they they shouldn't consider it or think about it. You know, so like just letting like it seems like a sort of extreme way to go about doing that but i thought if um people like me could see this film then then they'd understand that they may have been misinformed Mm. so your documentary is out in the world uh but now you're diving even further into the topic of queer and trans parenthood Mm. uh you're making a whole podcast about it Mm. what do you want to get into on the show like i i found sharing my experience to be very empowering and um it led to me feeling like I had a community. Mm. Um, so the aim of the podcast is to try to provide other people with a sense of community and try to give other people an opportunity to share the stories of how they created their families um, and to honour the kind of uniquely queer experience of having to really plan and work and think and get creative about how to become a parent um, and bring people together in that and celebrate it. Yeah, well, that's a lot to think about. And I love that you're you're out here trying to give community, like a thing you didn't have during your own pregnancy and journey to fatherhood to other people. That's really great. That's a much quicker way of saying it, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> My name is Sarah Levensold. I am queer, pregnant, and a single parent by choice. I don't tend to get asked this because I actually answer it before anyone has a chance to ask. I usually go, I'm pregnant via insemination. And then people might ask me how I chose a donor or the other parts of the process, that kind of thing. I love the question, how did you get pregnant? Because I think it implies that there's more than one way to do this. And as a queer person who got inseminated intentionally and is choosing single parenthood, 
it includes me in the conversation as opposed to assuming that I have a partner, I'm straight, and that's the way that you get pregnant. So, Elena, when uh, you told me about the topic, yeah, I was like, really, is that a topic? Because I have never thought about it. Right. I didn't think it was an issue. Right. People have babies. People don't have babies. Who cares? <laughs> uh, it was amazing how much I learned and uh, how things can be so challenging. Yeah. What was interesting to me was that when I was going into this topic, I was just like, cisgender, heterosexual people do the birds and the beasts. Other people do not. The end. But straight people can have problems with fertility, too, and use some of the same methods that a lot of LGBTQ people use as well. And if I have to use it in uh, one word, which is actually two words, okay, eye-opener. Yeah. It was an eye-opener. I feel like that's your word for a lot of these episodes, which makes me very happy. <laughs> I'm Harvinder Vadwa. And I'm Elena Hudgens-Lyle. Thanks for getting inappropriate with us. Big thanks to our guests, Farah Khan and Freddie McConnell. You also heard voice notes from Bianca Lopez and Sarah Lebensold. Every episode has an accompanying webcomic, and this week it was drawn by Louise Reimer. You can find it on Instagram at IQ underscore podcast. Also, make sure to check out our website at cbc.ca slash iqpodcast for a full transcript and more resources. The passionate podcasters behind this show are Sabrina Birch, Cindy Long, and myself. Our digital producer is Judy Z.E. Gu. This show is mixed by Andrew Norton. The senior producer of CBC Podcasts is Tanya Springer, and the executive producer is Arif Narani. Before you go, we wanted to tell you more about Freddie McConnell's new podcast. It's called Pride and Joy from BBC Sounds. It's a podcast about how queer people make families, whether that's through IVF, surrogacy, or lots of other creative ways. It's warm, it's hilarious, sometimes sad, but we've really loved listening to these stories, like the one about a 61-year-old surrogate. So if you want to hear more about queer families, check out Pride and Joy from BBC Sounds or wherever you get your podcasts. An inappropriate question is like your annoying auntie showing up at every family gathering. For more CBC Podcasts, go to cbc.ca slash podcasts.